We're talking again about uh, getting closer to God. We're switching our series a little bit. Uh, we've been talking about worship, and I want to clarify something um, that, uh, as we set up this next series, that when we talk about getting closer to God, and, and a lot of these, probably it goes without saying that we are the one primarily that benefits. Um, when we talk sometimes about getting closer to God, and not to say that God doesn't benefit, uh, but uh, I've heard that, that sentiment, and I disagree with that as well. Uh, certainly God benefits. God benefits in the sense that he loves us and would like to be close to us. So, so when we do draw closer to him, that is something he drives, but it, not a benefit in the sense that like he needs that for personal fulfillment. Like, oh, no, he's going to be lesser because I didn't get closer. It, I don't impact God on that level, uh, but certainly he does benefit. But, but God, uh, the, the drawing close to God is for us. It's, it's, it's not for him. Uh, he is not going to be unfulfilled. And so I want to dedicate some, uh, some passages or, or some sermons to, to some passages about our personal enrichment in this. And we're going to be... Uh, looking at one particular kind of topic and some different topics around this this idea. I hate to phrase it this way, but kind of it's like what's in it for me. And and I know that sounds really selfish and self-centered, but here's here's the thing about that. God gives us personal motivations. He does. And if if there wasn't personal motivations, then I wouldn't offer a sermon based from that perspective. But God, like, you shouldn't serve God because you get to go to heaven. That's, that's you know, selfish. Then God should not have offered me heaven as a motive for doing it. God offers me these motives because they are useful. And, and he says, listen, I'll use anything I can get to get you closer to me. Again, not for him, for me. So we're going to be looking at the scriptures. Uh, I don't I want to turn this on is what I want to do. Uh, that's not. Oh, there we go. Okay. Don't know who put these in there. All right. So uh, this is a verse I grew up memorizing. Some of you might have grown up memorizing this. The study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And uh, we're going to be talking about studying, but I was shocked as a, as a person who went to Bible college and I'd memorized this among many, many verses that, that we tried to instill in young people, and I was one of those young people, to study the scriptures. And it was, it's right there. And I was shocked to learn that this does not say study your scriptures. That doesn't mean that. This is an old word, uh, an old English word, that means to be diligent. It, it says, literally, it says be diligent to, uh, to show yourself approved into God. Right? That, 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 it, it's be diligent. It, it's not study. With that... Being said, we're going to talk about studying. Uh, I want to kind of draw from 
a sermon that I preached in Psalms 119. We're not going to talk about all of the details uh, of that again. You can go back and, and listen to that uh, online if you want. But it, we talked about the different aspects of the scriptures and how David goes through all of the various aspects of, of, of how important the scriptures were to him and, and what each aspect was and from the perspective of the, the principles of it, the commands of it, and all the different things that it meant to him. It was important to him. And we're going to return to that kind of idea without retreading it. Most people were... Uh, I think probably have been disappointed to find out a verse didn't mean what they what they thought it meant. And this is one of those. And so um, I'm going to mix my metaphors a little bit. You either get, get this one or you don't get you again, don't get it? It's not rocket surgery. Um, mix my metaphors this morning because we've been talking about getting closer to God, and we're gonna be talking about going deeper. And, and most of us have this idea of God, that God is out there, right? God is out there somewhere, so if, I, if I'm going to get closer to God, I, I'm going to go out there somewhere, but we're going to go deeper today and get closer to God. And, and there's, a, there's a, a psalm, I did not do these, I don't know why they're fuzzing like this as an issue somewhere, it is not my, my PowerPoint because I didn't do that. Uh, psalms 139, 7 through 10. It says this, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend up into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. It's actually literally the grave, but not hell. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand would lead me and the right hand would hold me. This idea that... that we look at God up here and we have this spatial thing like this, but, but he says... David says, really, anywhere you go, there's God. You can't run from God. We're, so we're, we're going to go deeper and find God today, hopefully. Uh, I, I think we can do that. And I want to talk, one thing that, that does seem important is that God is not interested in surface knowledge. God is not interested in me living on the surface, whether I go up here or whether I go down there and find him. God does not want me living on the surface. And, and so often it is, it, it, it's easy. It is the easiest thing to do to just live on the surface in our faith and just kind of skim. And God says, That's, whatever you do, don't live there. We want to go deeper to get closer. That's what we're going to do. I want to talk about a little bit about the, the consequences of surface knowledge. Uh, and the first one is errors. Matthew chapter 22, and, and, and I'm not going to go through the whole text. We'll, we'll kind of summarize a little bit. But the same day Sadducees came to him. And they're all in this big contest to see who can trip him up. And so it was their turn. Uh, and uh, so the Sadducees came to him. And they're the ones that say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher... Moses said, if a man dies and has no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. And skip, skip, skip uh, through the text. He says, but Jesus answered them and said, you err because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry or are given in marriage. They are like angels in heaven. Now the skipping, skipping, basically all that was was they set up this hypothetical, rhetorical type of a, a situation and wanted to... 
what was one of these things that no matter what he answered, they were going to have the, the correct answer. And of course, uh, they, they quickly followed out the door behind the Pharisees who had just, just tried their best. Uh, and, and there's two ideas in here that are important for us to see why surface knowledge is wrong. And these were the teachers. These were the Sadducees. These are the priests. These are the, the people. That, I mean, when you want to go, where you go to, let, let's go to the priest at the temple. Surely they're going to know the scriptures. And he says, you err, not knowing the scriptures. They had gotten accustomed to being the priest and they know everything. And so they didn't have to study. They didn't have to do anything. They just, we know. They, they, they just kind of were in cruise control on the surface. They say the same things every Saturday at the temple. And, and it was nice. That was a wonderful sermon. And, uh, and, and the priest really, it was really wonderful. And, and they, they go out. And everybody's living on the surface. And Jesus says, you err not knowing the scriptures. Uh, so the obvious thing is that there's, there's a theological error. Their theological error was specifically the resurrection Everything in this story that they're posing to him, these smart people are posing this idea to God on the premise that there's no resurrection. They were theologically incorrect. The entire premise of their, we're going to trick Jesus, was an an error. He's like, "Um, I deny the premise. Your premise is wrong, and that's why this whole, you're going to fail in this attempt. So that's the first thing. Their theology was wrong. But theology never, theology never stays where it's supposed to. It never stays as a, just a doctrinal discussion. We're just going to have a doctrinal discussion. And then it's going to we're gonna leave the doctrinal discussion there and then go our merry way. It never does that. Your theology will always impact you somewhere important. It will affect the way you interpret God. It will affect the way... You interpret the what you're supposed to do. It's going to affect something, right? This is one of those things about age. Everybody's on the age theme this morning, so I'm, I'm qualified to speak. Little, little error, and you're going to find that it impacts something else. A friend of mine had a, well, he was in a car accident. He was an old guy at that time. Uh, and, uh, and, Guy, he went into a chiropractor. The chiropractor says, here's several things you need to not skimp on. This is just free advice. Don't skimp on your shoes. He says, that affects your back. <laughs> your mattress, don't skimp on your mattress. And I forget what the third one was. Uh, but but, it, but it's, 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 these three things impact your back. A little thing down here, because you know, you're going to overcompensate. And you're going to find problems way up here. And you didn't know those were connected. That's theology. Theology is this little discussion that we have over here, uh, some more point here. But if I'm wrong, it's going to affect something over here. And the thing it affects over here, he says, you do not know the power of God. It affected their understanding of God. It, it wasn't just a theological discussion about the resurrection anymore. It affected how they viewed God, and that affected their lifestyle. These were... Listen to the descriptions of the Sadducees that Jesus gives. I mean, he calls them bunches of snakes. Right? A viper was a yellow-bellied snake. He calls them a bunch of yellow-bellied snakes. Right? Him and John. Well, 
You're a bunch of vipers. He calls them open tombs, whitewashed tombs. See, he called, I mean, Jesus calls them a lot of names. Where did they get like that? How did they get like that? Did they just wake up one morning, we're going to be horrible people? No, we're priests. We put on the nice robes and we do all the nice things and we go to... They got there because of their theology. They got there because of their views. Listen, if you don't believe in an afterlife, we talk about motivations. If you don't believe in the motivation of going to heaven, what's to keep you from... There's no, there's no, no deterrent. What's the deterrent from living like you want? There's none. See? And so theology affected their lifestyle. You do not know the power of God, is what he told them. Well, that's the first danger of surface knowledge is your error and the things connected with that error. <clears throat> Look at the second one is purpose. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, beginning. It's the end of a of a chapter, and the, the text rolls in through the, through the chapter 6 there. He says, for this time you ought to be teachers. You need, someone to teach how, you, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. He's talking about a nursing baby. This is your Mother's Day reference right there. Uh, so I checked that box. Uh, he says, solid food is for the mature, but those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. And so the second thing, if you look at this passage, here's what he's saying. You, need, you have a purpose. A Christian has a purpose. Your purpose is to be a... A connection, a bridge to another generation of Christians. That's my purpose. Or one of my purposes. But it, it's, it's one of my primary things. It's one of the things that Jesus left us with. Jesus left and those words were, go and teach other people. And, by the way, teach them to teach other people. And that was his closing thing. It's like, like this is supposed to be a perpetual motion machine. And he says, but you're supposed to be doing that, but you have to be taught again <clears throat> the elementary principles. In fact, uh, <clears throat> if you if not enough room on it, otherwise I would have included it here, but beginning in verse 4 in, uh, of chapter 6, he goes on and describes some of those principles. He says baptism and repentance and, and faith in God. He says those are elementary principles. We do not need, he's saying, I shouldn't have to preach a baptism sermon every week. People, they love baptism sermons. They want to know the baptism sermon. But baptism, 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 baptism. Paul says, listen, that's an elementary thing. We shouldn't have to have a baptism sermon every week. You should be moving on to, to better things. And one of the better things, one of the deeper things, is your ability to go outside and take that information and be teachers yourselves. To, to start filling that role for other people and teaching them elementary principles. Can I teach other people? So I want to get deeper or closer, whichever metaphor you like. 
while we're mixing our metaphors, we'll add another one. We're going to talk about our approach. He says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. It was Peter, uh, Second Peter. This is, to which you would do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the light dawns and the morning star rises in your heart, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so, so the first concept of our approach is that it does not come from me. There's an idea that if I can argue for it, then it's correct. Right? But truth does not equal argument. Truth does not equal who has better arguments. Truth does not... I probably told you the story about um, the, the, oh, the guy, is a young guy then, a young guy. <laughs> um, and uh, he was an elder, in a congreg- an older elder in a congregation when I was in the same college. Um, and in, in the church I went to. But when he had been a young whippersnapper in the same Bible college, and uh, his professor had gotten into an argument with him, again, for one of the many times during class and interrupted class. And so Bill, the young guy, uh, wanted to debate his teacher, and his teacher was tired of it because it consumed a lot of time. And so, uh, so Burton... Uh, Bert Barber, he says, okay, we're going to have a debate. Right now, we're going to stop class. We're going to debate, and I'm going to beat you. Then, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to take all of, we're going to switch sides. I'm going to allow you to use every argument I just used, and that's going to be your position now. And I'm going to beat you again with your own position that you just lost with. Well, obviously, he couldn't have been right both times. He could have been wrong both times. It's possible that neither of them are. But, but the idea that, that you can be wrong and still have, like, do a better job of arguing. Some people are just good arguers. Having clever arguments doesn't make you right. At the end of it, he says, this is your approach. You approach, it's not from you. It has nothing to, it didn't come from you. Holy, it didn't come from even the holy men. The holy men spoke as they were moved by God. So at the end of it all, I need to be clear with God that what I am saying is true. This, this is the approach. It's not about how clever I can be with my arguments. It's about whether I'm right or wrong. And, and that's the bottom line. I'm going to get, someday I'm going to stand before God. And I don't know how long that conversation is going to take place. Or maybe it's just going to be instantaneous. A lot of things I don't know. But, but God and I are going to have a, a realization I think the realization is going to be on my side. And the informing is going to be on his side. And I'm going to instantly, I think it's instantaneous. This is my view, my, my understanding. I'm just going to instantly have this recollection of all these moments where I've been way off. My job now is to make those as few as possible. I really want those to be as few moments. I want, however short that instant is, I want it to be as short as I can possibly get it. I don't want to stand there with a long list of debates that I've had with people 
and misused scripture after scripture and bad argument after bad argument. Not because of my own embarrassment in front of God. I'm going to be embarrassed in front of God. That's a foregone conclusion. Because it's going to impact other people. That's why. Because my bad theology doesn't stay put. My bad theology will have legs. Not just for myself, but for other people. So my approach is important. Is a, a word picture. He says, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and support of the truth. What a, what a word picture for my identity. I am a pillar and a support of truth. I don't make the truth. I just kind of hold it. That's what my job is, to hold truth. I have, you see someone carrying something very important. And I'm carrying it, and I'm not going to let it fall. I'm, I'm the pillar. I'm the support of it. I need to be reliable with it. This is my identity. I'm a pillar and a support of truth. God has entrusted that to me. That's a, that's, that's a serious trust. That he's given truth and said, Andrew, Tim, Barry, oh. Hold it. Don't damage it. Give it to somebody else. That's my job. It's my identity. So, I want to look at the next one. Memorize. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is the only verse from Psalms 119 I'm going to reference. It does not mean to, like, secret away. That's not the idea. <laughs> but we have to understand what hidden meant to them. Hidden meant that it was kept in a valuable place. Where you put your valuables, you hide them, right? Places, I go away for, I'm going to go for away for a weekend. House, not the most secure. Just going to say, I installed the doors. I know, they're not the best doors. So I have places that I hide things. They'll never find them. In my daughter's room. No, just kidding. <laughs> now I have places. Why? It's important. It's valuable. I've hidden it away. He says, do that with the word. It's, it's valuable. Don't let someone come and take it. It's, it, it's important to you. You, wanna, you want it to always be there. It's prized. My heart is the, the safe deposit box. It's where my desire is. Next thing, Deuteronomy 11. He says, you therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you will bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you're sitting in your house, and when you're walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, and you will write them on the doorpost of your house, and on your gates, and your days, and, uh, and days of your children also, they will be multiplied uh, in, in the land. As Cam we talked about this uh, maybe a month or two ago. 
just talking about the, the, the numerous memory tools that are in here. Uh, there's a lot of ways that we memorize. And it's not just always sitting down and repeating and then repeating. But he talks about talking about it. And he talks about you know, it, there's so many things and, and ways that we, we learn. But it was important for us to have it committed. There is an investment. There's an investment of time here. Certainly. There's an investment of effort in this. They actually took this literal and they had little things that they tied around their head. They weren't really that metaphorical. <laughs> so they actually tied things next to their head. Okay, uh, not really getting the idea, but okay, it'll work. I know, I know people who do this. They, they have like, like, they'll have verses and it'll be on their refrigerator and, uh, and there'll be one uh, on their cabinet so they getting stuff out of the kitchen and there's a verse there. And, and then I know someone that writes the, the stuff on the mirror and the, just with the, the whatever the marker is that comes off. And, like, just have it all around the house. It, it's important. We want to be in it. So memorize it, commit it to memory. He says, so that your children, again, we have this idea, it's passed on to the next generation. Joshua 1.8, he says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Meditate does not mean to clear your mind. That's a common idea. That's not what meditate. I'm going to meditate. That's not meditation. That's not the Bible meditation. This word, and specifically, it's, it's used more commonly in the Old Testament, the concept of meditation. It's in the New Testament as well a couple of times, but, but it's an Old Testament, primarily Old Testament word. And the word never once occurs without an object. You can't just meditate, in other words. You can't just clear your mind of something. Meditating. You might be relaxing. Meditating is always on something. Go look through it. There's a, I think 25 times it's used in the Old Testament. It's always meditating on his word. Meditating on him. Meditating on his works. Meditating on your guilt. Meditating on your sin. Meditating on, meditating on, meditating on, meditating on. It's thinking about something. Always. God never said clear your mind and have nothing in there. That's not healthy, by the way. So ponder. Think about it. Not just memorize the words, but what it means. And the last one, use it. You want to memorize something? You want to, you want to have something there to pull out? Go back and think about how much money you spent on your four years of college education. Think about the stuff you remember from your college education. You want to know what the majority of what you remember from your college education was? It's what you still use today. And everything else, I hate to say it, your kids are right. I'm never going to use this stuff. They all said it. We all, I said it. They're right. They're right. And they're going to forget it. 
They're going to learn it now because you got a test. Finals week. <laughs> Use it. Use it. You become that next generation. It's there. It's there. You get in a conversation with somebody and, you, and, you're, you're, and you've taught them about those. I'm telling you, those verses come back. There's a best way to memorize. The last one, 1 Peter 3.15, he says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared. You always say, tuck that one away. Wait, that one's, I'm going to keep that there because why? Because this person, I know this person. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this discussion. I know this discussion. You see those, you read them and you're like, it's there next time. Not, not to argue and, and debate and stuff, but, but the purpose here is, is to make a defense to anyone asks a reason for the hope that is in you with gentleness and respect. It's not about arguing, but it's about, I want to help this person, and here's, here's something. And the more I commit those to memory and the more I use them, the more they'll be there. That's just the way it is. It's used. So we're going to leave you with one, one idea and that is to master a new skill master a new skill somewhere in here somewhere maybe 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 the memorization I'm weak on maybe maybe I'm a, maybe I've memorized a lot of stuff and I don't use it all the time maybe uh I, I don't think about it. I, I've memorized words, but I just, what does that mean? Think about it. Spend time, look, look at, look, go through Psalms 119 and, and look how we, I get up in the morning and I read it. And I, you think about the, the times where there's what you want to do. There's, there's, I don't have this problem, so it's easy for me to say. But, uh, that might be up for debate, but there's a video game controller, and there's the Bible, and they're on the same desk. Mm, which one am I going to, there's a remote, and there's the Bible, which might, well, I know which one I want to pick up, right? I know which one is easy. Where's my desire? It's not that I can never play video games or I can never watch a a show. That's not what I'm saying. You you see the desire. Go back now. Take that desire and and look at where the apostles' desire was or look at where David's desire was. And and, and, I mean, look at the the way they referenced the scriptures, Where, where their desire was, what they wanted to spend their time in. Master a new skill. Wherever this is that you say, this is, what, this is where the catchy point is with me. Master that skill. Please stand.